Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Precious in the sight of the Lord was the death of Stephen. The death of his saints is precious in his sight and the death of Stephen was precious in his sight so the Lord stood for that. See, it says that in Ecclesiastes 7.1, it says, a good name is better, uses the word better, is better than precious ointment. So the subject here is better. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. Well, that's a little strange, isn't it? <laughs> Why is the day of death better than the day of one's birth? Well, actually, from the news this week, you can kind of agree with that. <laughs> but because it says in Psalm seventy-three twenty-four, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Because death for the saved is to be received to glory. And that's better than to be born into the world that's described in Job 5, 7. Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. So man's born unto trouble, and this trouble leads him to be saved, hopefully. And then he's saved, and he dies, and he's received to glory. So that's better. But it was significant when Stephen saw the Lord stand on the right hand of God to receive him because his great work on the cross had been done, and he was sitting down at the right hand of God. After his great work on the cross, the Lord Jesus was sitting down at the right hand of God, then he got up to receive Stephen. But after his great work is described in Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, all alone, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. See, when the Lord did that, he returned to the Father. When he did his great work on the cross, the work of atonement, he returned to the Father. He had purged our sins. And that's when the Father said to him in Psalm 110.1, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. See, when he'd finished the work of atonement as our high priest, he was told to sit down. And that's what it says in Hebrews 8.1. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Here it is. Here's the whole summation of it all. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the majesty, on the throne of the majesty in the heavens. You look at the tabernacle, like the creation museum, you go see the tabernacle. You will not see a chair inside the tabernacle. Those priests, when they started to be priests, they were told, it says, get some good sandals, some Dr. Scholl sandals. <laughs> Because you're going to need them, because you're going to be standing the whole time of your work. There is no chair in the tabernacle. No, no priest sits down in the tabernacle, except this priest, our priest, he sat down because his work was finished. 
Now, the next words we are told in verse 13 are two words, above it, above it. See, those words, above it, emphasizes the Lord's position. He's not just, he's above the ladder. Okay? He's above the ladder. It's the ladder where this is going on, the ascending and descending. And here's Jacob down here. And here's this ladder. And here's these angels. And they're going up and down on the ladder. And what does that teach us? That teach us, first of all, there is a ladder with angels ascending and descending. That teaches us Jacob has communication with heaven. Jacob has communication with heaven. And number two, the Lord's above the ladder. So that teaches us that Jacob has communication with heaven through a mediator, a mediator. And that mediator is Jehovah Jesus. He's above the ladder. And then number three, he's standing above that ladder. It teaches us that Jacob is important to the Lord. So the Lord standing above the ladder, teaching us that Jacob is the object of his mercy and of his attention. And when we see this, what this dream, it teaches us ourselves. It's not just about Jacob, it's about us. We have communication with heaven. We have communication with heaven through a mediator. Jehovah Jesus is our mediator. We have one mediator, as it says in 1 Timothy 2.5, 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator, between God and men, right in between, the man Christ Jesus. Our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our advocate. He's our lawyer. As it says in 1 John 2, 1, 1 John 2, 1, it says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's our mediator, steps in between us. Our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, he reveals the Father to us in John 1, 18. No man has seen God at any time, John 1, 18. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. He revealed him. We're important to the Lord. We're the objects of his attention and his mercy. And so when we think of the Lord standing on the top of the ladder, that teaches us that the Lord's active. He's not passive in his mediation. He's active in his mediation between us and, and heaven. And his activity is described in Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth. That's activity, to make intercession for them. He's always active. Now, when we read these next two words in verse 13, behold, the Lord stood above it and said, and said, and that's interesting. Because when it says, and said, it emphasizes to us there's only one voice being heard, and it's the voice of God. Only God speaks in this scene. I mean, there are all those angels of God. They're not mumbling to themselves. They're not talking among themselves. They're silent, and they're just doing their work going up and down while only the Lord speaks. No one speaks but the Lord, and he's the outstanding personality as the angels then keep silence, as it says in Habakkuk 2.20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Literally in the Hebrew, that reads, be silent, all the earth, before him. See, the earth is still when God arises to save the meek from the earth, as it says in Psalm 76, 8 through 9. Psalm 76, 8 through 9. Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven, the earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth. See, all eyes are on God in this scene. 
And God gets up there, and God, when God gets up there, everybody else is silent. Like it says in Zechariah 2.13, Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he has raised up out of his holy habitation. See, he's standing. And so, the, so it says, Be silent, all flesh. Zephaniah 1.7, Zephaniah 1.7, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. And sometimes we're tempted. That's what the first thing we do. That's what I do. Whenever I get, you know, upset or something, the first thing I do is I start talking on the phone. Nobody's there. I talk to myself. Doesn't matter. I just talk. <laughs> but the Lord says, don't do that. The Lord says, be silent and meditate on how I will be exalted in the earth in Psalm 4610. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. But the scene we have here is significant where the angels are silent. Oh, the Lord speaks. Because the verse we just read in Colossians 1.18, where it talks about he's the head of the church, the beginning, that all things he might have the preeminence. In all things he might have the preeminence. Not us. Not angels. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. In all things Jehovah Jesus might have the preeminence. And now we see the Lord said what he said when he spoke. He identifies himself. In verse 13, Behold, the Lord stood in the bubble and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. Now the Lord said, now look, watch carefully what he said there. The Lord told Jacob, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. You see anything wrong with what God said? Is that literally correct there? This is grandfather, wasn't it? This is grandfather. See, his grandfather, I mean, who was Jacob's father? Now, oh, good. Isaac, okay. If I was ever with my son David and his family and someone said to my granddaughter, Grace, that I was her father, she would immediately protest for good reason. <laughs> She'd say, David's my father. He's my grandfather. Here's a question. Why was Isaac not called Jacob's father? Since Isaac is really Jacob's father, Abraham is, is Jacob's grandfather, why didn't the Lord say to Jacob, I am the Lord God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, thy father? That's really the question. Why didn't he say, I am the Lord God of Abraham? Why did God center this fatherhood on Abraham and not on Isaac? Now, it's a little bit of a trick question here because in Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew, there is no word for grandfather. In modern day Hebrew there is. But in, in biblical Hebrew, there's no word for grandfather. And so I'm not asking why he didn't say, why didn't you call him grandfather? Because there's no word for grandfather. <laughs> but the question is, why didn't he call Isaac his father? The why in verse 13 is this, this emphasis on calling Abraham father and not Isaac father. And, and the answer to why Abraham is emphasized as Jacob's father is the same answer as to why Abraham is called our father. And he's not our literal father. He's not even our literal, most of us, anyways, he's not. Anyway, in verse 13, Abraham was called Jacob's father. Abraham is called our father. Why? Because of Romans 4.16, therefore it's of faith, and it might be by grace to the end the promise may, might be sure to all the seed, and not only to that which is of the law, but to that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, all believers. Just by being in the Lord Jesus Christ, a person is a son of Abraham, is part of Abraham's seed. That's what it means in Galatians 3.29 when it says, if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And Galatians 3, 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. 
See, and already here, now in this little verse, in this verse 13, Genesis 28, we have the kernel here. When God is emphasizing Abraham over Isaac as Jacob's father, there's already an indication that being in God's church of Jehovah Jesus is not by birth, but by faith. A believer in Jehovah Jesus is a son of Abraham. It doesn't matter if Abraham was in his lineage or not. Faith in Jehovah Jesus makes a person a son of Abraham. It doesn't matter if he's a son, grandson, whatever, Abraham. Faith in Jehovah Jesus makes him a son of Abraham. A believer in Jehovah Jesus is a son or daughter in Abraham. doesn't matter if they're Asian or Indian or Mexican. Faith in Jehovah Jesus makes a person a son of Abraham, and it doesn't matter which background it is. He's a son of Abraham. Just because a person is born a relative of Abraham doesn't make him a child of Abraham. Just because a person is born Jewish doesn't make him a child of Abraham. You know, during the summer blitz, a summer blitzer, so I call them summer blitzers, summer blitzer girl came to a Jewish man's uh, door, presented Jesus to him, and the man called his little boy over named Gava and said, I'll tell you why we don't believe. He said to his little sons, tell them why we don't believe in Jesus. And the little boy said, because Jesus is not God. The man said, you heard the boy slam the door. If a person believes that Jesus is God, if a person believes that Jesus is Jehovah, then he's the son of Abraham. And in verse 13, by God calling himself the God of Abraham and by emphasizing Abraham, by calling Abraham Jacob's father, God was pointing Jacob to look at Abraham's faith and follow Abraham's faith. God does the same with us. He wants to point us to Abraham's faith in his life, and he says, follow Abraham's faith. Of course we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but when we look in the Old Testament, the person we identify with and follow is Abraham. And see, this last week, Megan and I was in Houston with Pastor Isaac. His name's Isaac. Only he doesn't call it Isaac. It's Isaac. I don't know what he's saying. And he has a Spanish-speaking church. It's all they speak. They speak Spanish. And they had a special meeting Thursday night and wanted me to come and speak to them to teach them how to bring the Lord Jesus Christ to the people of Houston. I said, if I knew how to bring it to people of San Diego, I could help you. But anyway, <laughs> so Pastor Isaac has led his church into a love for Israel. And Pastor Isaac, he's grown a beard. He's grown a big beard, big black beard to make himself look Jewish. I mean, I started off by telling the people, all my life, I wonder what Isaac looked like. <laughs> Today I come to your church and find out. So these dear Hispanic people, they have many contacts. It was remarkable with Jewish people. Why? Because they're working for 10 and $12 an hour as house cleaners and et cetera. And they're deeply burdened to reach the Jewish people with the gospel. And the church has become burdened to reach the Jewish people. And so they have a large flag on the side of their wall, of the flag of Israel, the Star of David, in the wall of their sanctuary. And then when I arrived, the little orchestra is playing Israel's national anthem, Hatikva. <laughs> it means the hope. I mean, this little Hispanic church knows that there's only one Hatikva for the Jewish people. And that Hatikva is the Lord Jesus Christ. This Hispanic church, it knows that they must bring the gospel to the Jewish people. The Jewish people are so different from them. And so they wanted to hear from a saved Jewish person how to reach Jewish people with the gospel. And I told them that, you know, I identify with you. I said, because I also grew up in a very poor community. It's a Bel Air and Beverly Hills. <laughs> so they organized this special Thursday night meeting, and I started at 7 p.m., and um, the meeting went a little long. <laughs> 
to almost midnight. <laughs> and they would have stayed later if I could have kept on speaking, but I really ran out of gas. And I told them, I said, you know, at my church, when I speak, people bring their lunch. <laughs> and, and they asked if I, could spend, if I could spend more days. I said, no, I'm exhausted. And they want to speak about the Jewish people and God. And I spoke for hours, and I poured my heart out explaining to them how God looked over all the cities of the world where Jewish people are. And he was looking for something. And he looks over the cities where the Jewish people are, and he says in Ezekiel 22.30, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And destruction, I told him, destruction is set for the Jewish people of Houston because of the great gap between God and the Jewish people. And that gap was caused by the Jewish people from Isaiah 59.2, where it says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. See, that's Isaiah 59.2, where he's explaining why is there this big separation between God and the Jewish people? And 14 verses later, in verse 16, Isaiah 59, 16, God said that when he saw a great separation between him and the Jewish people, he was looking for a person to step into the separation between God and the Jewish people and become the intercessor. And so he said in Isaiah 59, 16, and I saw that there was no man and wondered there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. His righteousness sustained him. See, he, he, God looked for the intercessor. He said, I don't see one. I just, and he, God wondered. I can't believe it. It's unbelievable to me. And in another place, God called for someone to step into that separation between God and the Jewish people, which God called a gap. And it says in Ezekiel 13, 5, Ezekiel 13, 5, you have not gone up into the gaps neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. See, because of this gap or this separation caused by their sins, the Jewish people are in danger of destruction. And they would have been destroyed back in Moses' day had not Moses said, I'm going to go stand in that gap. I'm going to go stand in that separation. I'll go stand in that breach. And he called it a breach in Psalm 106.23. Psalm 106.23. Therefore, he said that he would... He would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. So I told this poor Hispanic church in Houston, God looked over the city of Houston and saw the separation between himself and the Jewish people. God saw the gap. God saw the breach. And God said, there's got to be intercessors between the Jewish people of Houston and me. There's got to be someone who will stand in the gap, stand in the breach between me and the Jewish people so that the Jewish people in Houston are not destroyed. And I told them, you're the people. You're the people that God has chosen to stand in the gap between God and the Jewish people of Houston. I told them, Iglesia Batista Biblica Il Faro, which I don't even know what it means, is the group to stand in the gap and protect the Jewish people from destruction. They heard the heartthrob of God. They heard the heartthrob of God for the Jewish people. And the church, they needed land so much, they're very crowded. And they couldn't even afford to buy an acre of land behind them for $33,000. 
but yet they've spent money to print up thousands of these little cards here and to hire two of their own members to go full-time to the Jewish people. One of them is named Joshua, and the other is named Jesus. But the church realized you can't be a missionary to the Jewish people with a name like Jesus. It's not going to (laughs) work. It's going to offend the Jewish people. So they renamed Jesus Elvis. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. (laughs) So now they send Joshua and Elvis (laughs) full-time to reach the Jewish people of Houston. And Joshua and Elvis go around and they take these cards from their church and they distribute them to the Jewish people of Houston. You know what it says on the card? You can read it. Dios bendiga a Israel. May God bless Israel. And it says, in la iglesia Batista bíblica el faro, amamos, amamos o pueblo hebreo, defendamos el derecho de pueblo judeo, oramos diariamente por la salvación de todo el pueblo judeo. Eh, iglesia Batista bíblica el faro, love the Jewish people, amamos, defend the rights of the Jewish people, defendemos, pray daily for the salvation, oramos. Pray daily for the salvation of all the Jewish people. Those three words, they say all about their heart for the Jewish people. Amamos, defendemos, oramos. Oramos, see, we love, we defend, we pray. Why? Why? Why does this poor Hispanic church in Houston love and defend and pray for the Jewish people of Houston? Why does this poor Hispanic, why do they do that? Because of verse 13. Because the Lord God of Abraham is their father. And Elvis, Elvis and Joshua go out daily and they give these cards to the Jewish people there in Houston and the church gives money for their support and they pray for them, for the Jewish people of Houston. It was remarkable. And they wanted to know when I would come back. They were so interested in bringing the Jewish people of Houston to the Lord Jesus Christ. Many in that church cannot speak English, but there are many Jewish people in Houston that speak Spanish. And as I looked over that congregation, I was stunned to see people so different from the Jewish people with such a heart to see the Jewish people saved from destruction. And last night, as I looked over this poor Hispanic church in Houston, I thought to myself, how privileged I was. How privileged I was to see and be with the people responsible for protecting the Jewish people of Houston from destruction. And as I looked over that poor Hispanic congregation, it was God said to me, You want to know why the Jewish people of Houston are not destroyed? You're looking at them. And the next day, they took me to the Jewish community, and we stopped people on the street. Jewish people started talking to them. And one Orthodox lady coming out of Walmart, when I said, uh, oh, yeah, you know, I want to give you this thing. And she told me, she said, I already have one. Someone from the church already came to the card and I, with the card. And I said, well, was he nice? Was he nice to you? Because I'll go tell his boss if he wasn't nice. She said, oh, no. She says, he was very nice. They are nice to us. We are the ones that are not nice to them. <laughs> and I said, amen. <laughs> Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. You're invited to Christmas Under the Stars at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, Saturday, December 12th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Activities for the entire family, including a live nativity, caroling candlelit museum tours, ornament making, cookie decorating, star exploration, and a special Star of Bethlehem message by guest Paul Taylor. Join us for this family-free Christmas event at the Creation Museum, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com. 